Good morning. Thus far, uh, in our study of the book of Luke, we've looked at a couple of different things. Uh, We started off with a brief overview and introduction of the book, and then we followed that up with two separate birth announcements. Uh, First, we looked at the birth announcement given to Zacharias, uh, the priest, concerning how God was going to open his barren wife Elizabeth's womb and give them a son and how they were to name him John, one that uh, we would come to know as John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord. And then last week, we looked at an unexpected birth announcement given to a young virgin girl named Mary, who was betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph. Of course, that announcement given to Mary was the blessed message of God sending his one and only son to be born as a babe to be the Savior of all mankind. And while it was an unexpected message, it is one that Mary and the rest of us are extremely and eternally grateful for. Today we're going to pick up the account from there, continuing to make our way through chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. We're also going to set aside some time to observe communion together at the close of our service as part of our regular observance of the Lord's Supper. For us as a church, we set aside usually the first Sunday of every month to partake in communion, to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior. And so we're going to do that at our close of service this morning as well. And so our text this morning is going to be Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. And the title of our study is going to be Mary's Joyous Visit. Mary's Joyous Visit. Will you all please rise to your feet in honor of God and His Word? I'm going to read from my Bible. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, Please do your best to follow along in your own Bible. Uh, Luke continues his narrative in verse 39 with the following. He writes, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy." Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And verse 56, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture, this opportunity to open up your word and allow you just to speak to us. And Lord, I do hope, I do pray that each and every one of us have come this morning with anticipation and with the expectation that that's what's going to happen here, that you're going to speak to us through your word. Lord, we trust that your word uh, is going to go forth and accomplish the work that you set it to do. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be open to that work that you desire to do in our hearts and lives today. Lead us and guide us through your truth. And Lord, prepare us for all that you have for us. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Last week, if you were with us, uh, when we picked up our account between the birth announcement of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, we noted how there was a six-month time gap between those two events. Okay, in our text this morning, no such time gap exists. It would seem that right after Mary was visited by Gabriel and told about not only her own pregnancy, but also the pregnancy of her relative Elizabeth, that she decided to take a trip and pay a visit to Elizabeth. And so as we go through our text, I'm going to break it down into three sections. Okay, for those of you who like to take notes or to outline our text, you can jot these sections down if you'd like. Okay, our first section is going to deal primarily with the salutation of Mary. Okay, the salutation of Mary. The second section will highlight uh, the song of Mary. Okay, and then the third and final section will be the service of Mary. And so we have the salutation of Mary, the song of Mary, and the service of Mary. Let's go ahead. We're going to jump back into our text and uh, this first section dealing with the salutation of Mary. It's in verses 39 through 45. I'll read it once again. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Our opening verses tell us how it was in those same days that Mary was visited by Gabriel that she went into the hill country to the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth with haste. Okay, we aren't told why Mary was in such a hurry, but more than likely she was excited to go and see Elizabeth, her relative, who had also been visited by the same angel that Mary had. Uh, when the angel spoke to Mary, he had informed her about Elizabeth's pregnancy and how it was to be a sign for her of how God could do the impossible, opening up Elizabeth's barren womb even in her advanced years as Luke chapter 1 verses 36 and 37 describe. And so Mary, she quickly made her way from the northern region of Galilee to the hill country of Judea to see Elizabeth and to share in the excitement of all that the Lord was doing. 
As Mary entered the house, she greeted Elizabeth. And in that very moment, when Mary's salutation entered into Elizabeth's ear, something unexpected happened. The babe that grew within Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. Now, we have to understand, Elizabeth is at this time six months pregnant. Uh, And I'm sure it was not the first time that she felt her baby uh, move inside of her womb or or kick or roll around. Uh, But there was something special about this particular movement. According to verse 44, it was a leap of joy. Mary's salutation brought great joy to John the Baptist while he was still only six months in the womb. Uh, As a side note, I looked it up just to make sure. Uh, I thought it interesting. Typically, babies in the womb at six months, they are already very active inside the womb. They do, in fact, have the ability to pick up on uh, and focus upon sounds that are coming from outside the womb. And, And that's actually why people are encouraged to read to their babies and speak to their babies while they're still in the womb, because they can actually start to decipher and recognize those sounds while in the womb, even at six months. Uh, The fact that John the Baptist is recorded as responding to Mary's salutation really isn't in and of itself a miracle or something spectacular. But I do believe this could be evidence of a promise that Gabriel gave to Zacharias concerning John the Baptist. Okay? When Gabriel the angel visited Zacharias, if you remember maybe a couple weeks back, okay, when we covered this portion of scripture, the Ga- Gabriel informed him about how God was going to answer his prayers and give him a son. And one of the things Gabriel said about his son was that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 15 tells us that. We do know that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit immediately upon this salutation from Mary, for that's what verse 41 tells us, but more on that later. Uh, It could be that John the Baptist was filled at this time as well in fulfillment of the promise that Zacharias had uh, received from Gabriel. Nowhere else in the scripture are we given any sort of clue or indication of this event taking place other than here, uh, this filling of John the Baptist uh, with the Holy Spirit from the womb. And so a lot of people look at this point and say, yeah, it probably happened at this time as well. Obviously, this was a significant event. Something uh, important that Luke felt should be included within this gospel account. And so it got me to thinking, you know, what are we to make of it? What is so significant about this leap of joy on John the Baptist's part while in the womb? Let me suggest to you what I believe. I believe that this leap of joy was not so much connected to the salutation of Mary as it was to the entrance of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. When exactly that took place could be debated. We don't know. But we do know this, that the filling of the Holy Spirit prior to the day of Pentecost and throughout the Old Testament scriptures was a special blessing bestowed upon individuals for various ministries and services for the Lord. 
the Holy Spirit came upon the likes of Moses and Joshua. Uh, He came upon Saul and David, a number of the judges that God used for special ministries. The Holy Spirit would come upon these individuals to empower them for special acts of service. Now, knowing and understanding how the Holy Spirit would come upon individuals for special ministries is important to recognize in this situation. For John the Baptist's special filling of the Holy Spirit would be for a specific mission, a specific work that God had for him to do. And we actually know what that work was based upon what Gabriel told Zacharias. Again, back in Luke chapter 1 earlier, the angel told Zacharias that his son would churn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and that he would go before him in reference to Jesus Christ. And he would go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so the special work of John the Baptist would Uh, that he would do under the empowering of the Holy Spirit would be to prepare the way for Jesus. He was going to go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was going to let people know that Jesus was coming, that they needed to be ready for him. Now, to me, I think this plays into John the Baptist's joyful response not necessarily again at the noise of mary's salutation but moreover the fact that the lord jesus had entered into john's presence john's ministry from the lord the reason that he was filled with the holy spirit from the womb was to prepare the people for the coming of the lord and here the lord has entered into john's presence while in the womb of young mary i think That John's leap for joy has more to do with the fact that Jesus has entered into his presence than it does with Mary's voice. And and that's what I want to take note of with you here this morning. As Jesus entered into the presence of John the Baptist, it caused him to leap with joy, even from inside his mother's womb. Do you know the scriptures attest that in the Lord's presence, is fullness of joy. And in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what Psalm 16 verse 11 tells us. You see, as we gather together to meet with the Lord, it ought to be a time of great joy. It ought to be a time of rejoicing, for in his presence is fullness of joy. Listen, there is no greater place to be, no place that will bring us more joy more satisfaction, more fulfillment than being in the presence of the Lord. And yet, I fear that there are so many believers, so many Christians who are not filled with joy, who are not satisfied, who are still looking for fulfillment in things, well, just things other than the Lord. Listen, Fullness of joy is found in His presence. It is through developing an intimate relationship with the Lord where you regularly spend time with the Lord, communing with Him and hearing from Him. 
You know, the Lord actually invites us to boldly come to Him. His Word tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God wants us to enter into His presence, to spend time with Him, and He assures us that we will find what we are looking for as we do so. We will find mercy. We will find grace in our time of need. We will find fullness of joy and pleasures for over, forevermore as we boldly come to Him. May we be those who take advantage of His invitation and find ourselves regularly entering into His presence, enjoying the fullness of joy that comes with simply being with the Lord. Now, not only did John the Baptist leap with joy when the voice of Mary was heard, but we also are told that Mary's salutation also impacted Elizabeth. Specifically, we're told that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a number of things that I believe were spontaneously and divinely revealed to Elizabeth in this filling of the Holy Spirit. Instantaneously, as the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth, she was granted divine knowledge, revelation of the details regarding what happened to Mary. Okay? She knew that Mary was pregnant. She knew uh, not only was Mary pregnant, but she also knew that the baby Mary was carrying was her Lord. She knew that her baby leaped for joy in response to uh, her salutation. She knew that God had visited Mary, not only that God had visited Mary, but that God had given to her some promises, and she knew that Mary believed those promises. All of this was divinely inspired knowledge that Elizabeth would have had no idea about if not for the filling of the Holy Spirit that she experienced. This divine revelation was given to her at this moment. And Elizabeth's response to Mary's salutation was to speak out with a loud voice. The Greek word for the phrase spoke out. It carries the idea of a joyful exclamation. Elizabeth was filled with great joy, just like John the Baptist was. Her joy was connected to this work of the Holy Spirit upon her life. As she was filled with the Holy Spirit, He revealed all these wonderful things about Mary that caused her great joy and excitement. And I think that there is something here for us to take note of as well and to apply to our own lives. You see... Just as Elizabeth was overjoyed at the work of the Holy Spirit upon her life, we too should be overjoyed at the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon our own lives. First and foremost, the work of the Holy Spirit in showing us our need for a Savior and drawing us to Jesus Christ. But even after that, as we responded in faith and He came in and He took residence inside of us, we should constantly rejoice at the fact that the Holy Spirit resides within us. He leads us and He guides us in all truth. Galatians actually even tells us that joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. The natural byproduct of having the Holy Spirit active in our lives, it should show itself in a joyous life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 tell us. Our lives, listen, they should be marked by a genuine joy because of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We shouldn't be going around as Christians and being like, oh, you know, all depressed and bummed out. Yeah, we're going to go through tough times and, and difficulties, but, but there's a joy that we need to have as the Holy Spirit is continually, always active and working in our hearts and in our lives. One last thing I want to note here in this section regarding the salutation of Mary and her joyous visit. See, not only did John the Baptist reply in joy as he came into the presence of the Lord, and Elizabeth responded in joy as she was filled with the Holy Spirit, but we also see that Mary herself was filled with joy. Elizabeth declared to Mary in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. The word blessed in verse 45 is actually different from the word blessed used in verse 42, when Elizabeth declared that Mary was blessed among women. You see, in verse 42, the word blessed is the Greek word eulogeo, and it means simply to speak well of someone. It's where we get our English word eulogy from, uh, to speak well of, of someone. But in verse 45, the Greek word translated blessed is the word makarios. And it speaks of happiness and enjoying divine favor. Mary was indeed blessed. She enjoyed this wonderful divine favor upon her life. And according to Elizabeth, who was speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Mary was blessed because she believed the word of the Lord that was brought to her by Gabriel the angel. Mary believed God's word spoken over her when Gabriel told her how she would conceive and bear the Son of God even though she was a virgin. You see, when the angel explained to her how the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow her and fill her womb, her response was simply, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And listen, like Mary we too can find great joy and divine favor as we place our belief and our faith in God's word to us. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, verse 111, your testimonies, uh, your translation may read statutes or law, it's referring to God's word, your testimonies, I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Again, he would write in Psalm 119, verse 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. It was the prophet Jeremiah who proclaimed, Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. May we be ones that find great joy in the Word of God. May we be ones who believe and live our lives in accordance with God's Word. For we know that as we believe God's Word and live out God's Word, we will be blessed. We will enjoy the divine favor of 
the Lord. Well, let's move on to our next section. We'll see how this joyous visit of Mary's continued after Mary's salutation. The next section is all about the song of Mary in verses 46 through 55. Follow along. Luke writes, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. This wonderful and beautiful song that Mary sings is very well known. It is uh, sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, uh, which is a translation from the Latin of the opening line where Mary says, my soul magnifies. Uh, This song is filled with all sorts of Old Testament cross-references and allusions to Old Testament scripture, which which lets us know that Mary was well-versed in the word of God. It also resembles another song of praise that you may have come across before in your own studies of the Old Testament uh, of another unexpecting mother, uh, the song of Hannah. Uh, If you're familiar uh, with that, you'll see there's a lot of correlations between Mary's song and the song of Hannah. We don't have time to review it now, but if you'd like to look it up later on, okay, you could do so. It's in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, the song of Hannah. For us, I want to just highlight a couple things. There are two main sections to this song. In the first major section, Mary speaks about what God has done for her specifically in verses 46 through 50. And then in the rest of the song, Mary sings about what God has done for others in verses 51 through 55. And there are, as I mentioned, a number of things that are said in this song that we can dive into and we could take a long look at, but time's not going to allow us to do that. Okay, So what I want to do is just key in on a few of things here as we make our way through our text. The first thing I want to key in on is what Mary says in verse 47. Part of the song she sings, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary acknowledges something here that is very important for us to understand. Mary rejoiced in the fact that the Lord was her Savior. And from this statement, we can deduce that Mary was in need of a Savior, that she was in need of saving, just like every other human being born into this world. Mary had a sin problem that can only be dealt with by God sending His Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, why is this so important to note? Well, because... There has been some uh, misleading and uh, erroneous doctrine circulating within various churches that holds to a doctrine that simply isn't supported biblically. And the main proponents of this doctrine come from the Catholic Church, but it is not exclusive to the Catholic Church. There is a doctrine out there that's referred to as the Immaculate Conception. Anybody ever heard of the Immaculate Conception? Okay, a few of you have. Okay. 
the Immaculate Conception doctrine teaches that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had been freed from original sin, from the moment of her conception, that she was sinless from the moment she was conceived in her own mother's womb, and that she didn't inherit the sinful nature that the rest of humanity did through Adam. Now, the problem with this doctrine is that while uh, they say that it has been revealed by God, you don't find it anywhere in God's revealed word to us. Uh, Basically, the the Pope uh, uh, of the Catholic Church back in the 1800s said, God revealed this to me, this is true, and if you want to be part of the Catholic Church, you must agree to this as well. Every good adherent to the church will be faithful to this teaching, and it was said, this is what it is, and you have to believe this. Um, But there's no support for it in God's Word. In fact, it not only is not found anywhere in Scripture, but it is also completely against the clear teaching of what we do know from God's revealed truth. Because in Romans chapter 5, Paul teaches us, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, okay? And that's not just men like uh, uh, males, okay? But all mankind, because it says, because all sin, okay? Man, women, children, all sin. Sin entered into this world through Adam and has been passed on to all who have come after him. By nature, we are sinners. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners by nature. It's, It's part of our spiritual DNA, if you will, that's been passed down to us through Adam. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception of Mary basically says... Well, that Mary didn't have a sinful nature passed along to her. And as such, she remained sinless and was able to give birth to God's son because of this divine favor upon her. Okay. And again, the problem with this teaching is that it isn't supported by God's word. But listen to this. It even isn't supported by Mary's own words. Okay. And that's what I want to point out to you here. The fact that Mary rejoiced in having a Savior, it wouldn't make sense if she didn't have any sins needing saving from. Right? Why would you rejoice in having a Savior if you don't need saving? Right? By Mary's own song here in Luke chapter 1, we see that Mary was indeed in need of a Savior, just like the rest of all mankind. And she rejoiced in the fact that God, was her savior and i think this is something that we can make application towards our own lives as well like mary we should rejoice in god our savior we should rejoice that we have been saved from the penalty of our sins isaiah the prophet wrote i will greatly rejoice in the lord my soul shall joyfully shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You see, Isaiah rejoiced in the fact that God had saved him and had clothed him with the garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. You know, a week and a half ago, we finished off our study of the Old Testament prophet of Habakkuk. And I was reminded of the words that he penned in chapter 3, where he stated, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit 
beyond the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Such a powerful proclamation by Habakkuk. No matter what life circumstances brought his way, he concluded that he could and he would always rejoice in the Lord and he would joy in the God of his salvation. You see, even when things get bad, even when there's no fruit on the trees or on the vine, there are no sheep in the stalls, all provision is cut off and things seem bleak and hopeless, Habakkuk could still rejoice in the Lord. He could still have joy in his life based upon the mere fact that God had saved him. And listen, that is the goal for you and I as well. That we would come to the same place Habakkuk did. Where we would say, no matter what life brings our way, when it seems like life is fruitless, when it's hopeless, we would still be able to rejoice in the fact that God has saved us. Listen, isn't that reason to rejoice? Isn't that something that we can always praise God for and have great joy in? The fact that our sins have been forgiven, that the Lord has wiped away our, our sins, He's given us a clean slate, He has clothed us in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. He has removed the stain of sin by grace through faith. Listen, no matter what, as believers, as Christians, we've always something to be joyful about, and that is our salvation in the Lord. We are saved. Jesus Christ, He paid the penalty for our sins, and we will one day be united with Him in heaven where we will spend all of eternity in the glory and presence of our Lord and Savior, and this is something that we can all rejoice in and be reminded of this morning. Listen, we always, no matter what, always have reason to rejoice because our sins have been forgiven. The other thing I want to point out here from this song is how Mary gives glory and honor where glory and honor are due. Mary acknowledges the fact that her salvation and all that the Lord has done for her, listen, it had nothing to do with her and it had everything to do with the Lord and His work. Even as she transitions from speaking about the great things God had done for her and puts her focus upon what God has done for others, the focus is always upon what God has done. It is His work. He's the one that deserves all the praise, honor, and glory. Look at how Mary repeats over and over how it was God who does all these things. Just look through this text again. He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. His mercy is on those who fear Him. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy and He spoke to our fathers. Are you getting the drift here? Okay, Who's the one doing it all? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Mary acknowledges that it is all about the Lord and the work that He has done. And we too, like Mary, 
ought to find great joy in all the work that God has done in us and through us. But not only in us and through us, but also in in and through those around us. That we would rejoice because God works in other people's lives around us as well. You know, Psalm 92 declares, For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. We can rejoice and praise God for all the wonderful works of His hands. Not only that He's saved us, but how He continues to mold us and to shape us and to work in us and through us. God has started a work in us that He will be faithful to complete. He won't leave us undone or incomplete. He has a plan and a purpose in our lives and He will see to it that that plan is brought to completion. Philippians 1.6 asserts this truth for us that we can be confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, none of us are going to be left undone. God has a plan. He has a purpose for each of us and we can rejoice in the fact that God is at work in us and through us all. Well, let's wrap up our study by taking a look at this final section and the final verse of our text dealing with the service of Mary. Take a look at verse 56 with me. It says, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. You know, we could easily read this verse and think nothing of it, but I think we would be missing something important here that's worth noting. We're told that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months before departing back to her house. Now, I want you to consider with me the details surrounding the circumstances there at Elizabeth's house. Zacharias is old, and his wife, Elizabeth, is well-advanced in years. Okay, We won't say that other word. She's just well-advanced. Imagine what it was like for Elizabeth to also be entering into her third trimester of pregnancy. You moms can relate. You know how uncomfortable you become as the baby inside you continues to grow and and get bigger and bigger and your belly becomes more and more heavy and your back hurts, your body aches, you feel like you're just this uh, human punching bag for that little one inside of you. It's not the most comfortable situation to be in. Now, imagine going through that when you are well advanced in years. Now, we don't know exactly how young or how old Elizabeth was, but I think that it is safe to assume that her body is already starting to wear down just through old age. You see, because the word that's used to describe Elizabeth as well advanced in years is used just a few times uh, in the New Testament. And one of the times that it's used is in regard to Anna, the prophetess, which we'll cover when we get to Luke chapter 2. And we're told that she was a widow until the age of 84, okay? And so the use of this word is used to describe someone who's 84. The same word is found in the Old Testament Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to describe the age of Joshua, who was over 100 years old when he passed away and it's used to describe david prior to his death at the age of 70 in fact of all the times it's used the youngest person that it's ever used with where we actually get an age is david at 70 years old okay so this is a word that's used to describe people in their 70s 80s and into their hundreds 
think about that, okay? It isn't just that she was well advanced when it came to child rearing. She wasn't just at a well advanced age for having children. She was at a well advanced age, period, okay, overall. And here we see that Mary stays with her for the final three months of her pregnancy, no doubt to serve Elizabeth and to lend her a helping hand with things around the house and just getting around at six plus months pregnant and well advanced in years. And I bring this up because I think it could have been very easy for Mary just to focus upon her own situation and the task that lied ahead for her, but instead she focused her energy and efforts upon helping others. You know, Mary could have had a very self-righteous attitude and approach when it came to her own pregnancy and needing to take care of herself and prepare herself for, man, this incredible moment that lie before her. You know, she could have been like, hey, well, it was great to see you, Elizabeth. You know, I got to get going. You know, I got to go home and prepare to give birth to God's son, you know, Um, kind of a big deal. Um, you know, hopefully you do well for yourself. See you later. And, and she could have been very focused upon her own self. But that's not what happens. That, that isn't her heart whatsoever. She put her own needs and desires and self-interest on the shelf and she stuck around and served Elizabeth. And no doubt she was a huge blessing to her and Zacharias. Mary was blessed. She was highly favored but she still found joy in humbly serving others. And I think she leaves us a good example to follow. You know, Paul wrote about how he wanted to see the church in Philippi look to serve one another, and in doing so, how it would fulfill his own joy. He wrote to the church in Philippi, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, there's joy in serving others. There is joy in in putting the interest of others before your own and simply humbling ourselves. This is the example left for us by Mary. She humbled herself. She looked to find joy in simply being a blessing to Elizabeth and serving her in her time of need. But listen, it's also the same exact, same exact example Jesus showed to us as well. You know, Paul, he continued in Philippians chapter 2, after verse 4, he continues in verse 5, and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven of those of on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father may we follow in the example of both mary 
and Jesus and find joy in humbly serving others and putting the interest of others above our own. Well, in our text detailing Mary's joyous visit, we noted a number of things that brought joy to different individuals and how we too can look to have that same joy in our own walk in our life with the Lord. We can have joy as we enter into the presence of the Lord, knowing that in His presence is fullness of joy. We can have joy and rejoice over the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can find joy in God's Word and blessings as we live our life in accordance to God's Word. We can have the joy joy in the fact that we are saved. No matter what else is going on in our life, we can always rejoice in the God of our salvation. Also, we can find joy And not just our own salvation, but in the ongoing work of God in our lives and the lives of those around us. And lastly, we can have joy, we can find joy in humbly serving others and putting the interest of others before our own. You know, I would challenge you perhaps this morning, if you're here and you feel like, you know what, I just just don't, that joy of the Lord that I once had, it just hasn't been there you know, maybe you feel like it's just been robbed from you or stolen from you or just taken, but you just don't have that joy. Um, I would encourage you to pray about these things that we've noted here in our text and really go to the Lord and be reminded of all the wonderful reasons that we have to rejoice in the Lord and to allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength. 